From Washington, I'm David Schultz, and this is Talking Tax. For this episode of Talking Tax, we're looking back at 2022 and revisiting our interviews with some of the biggest newsmakers in tax policy. Getting the U.S. tax court back to a sense of normalcy amid the pandemic, implementation of the Inflation Reduction Act, and the OECD's two-pillar tax plan were among the biggest tax stories this year. We start off with the chief judge of the U.S. tax court, Kathleen Kerrigan. She started that role earlier this year, with the court still trying to regain a sense of normalcy after years of pandemic disruptions. Judge Kerrigan told Bloomberg tax reporter Asia Bogchi that she had one overarching goal for her tenure on top of the tax court. And that is to help the court living with COVID. How do we get back to moving with more in-person trials? But I don't think we're going back completely the way we were. And how do we kind of balance everything out? And I think everybody is figuring out how, we're, how we live with COVID and how we, how we move forward. Another goal is to try to, and I'm not sure the best way to do this, but I think um, we're making progress is by the judges talking to the parties, is to increase our electronic filers. For 2021, we were 83% paper. We're now 17% and those facts are for petitions. So usually if the petitions, that is the rest of the case is electronically. Um, Personally, I've put in my orders, why don't you try filing electronically? Here's how you go about and do it. And especially, I, but it didn't always work. Parties that I did um, remote trials with, I knew they had computer access because they were doing Zoom. So I'd kind of be like, why don't you become a remote filer? And that worked in some situations. It didn't work in others. Um, but electronic filings are on the rise for petition. But I'd like to get, you know, now that we take petitions electronically since we started Dawson, I'd like to get that number a lot higher. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. I know there has been a huge spike in the number of petitions that have been filed at the court during the pandemic. Has that continued uh, to this day? And is the court looking at any options to streamline or to more efficiently resolve cases to try to handle that ballooning docket? I think what we're doing is things were just not being processed. We had that time period probably from March to June and 2020 during COVID. And I also think the IRS fell behind. So we're kind I think we're going to see a trend where it's balancing out a bit. We'll have to see how many cases move forward. We're running a little bit behind and I don't have exact numbers, but all my colleagues were noticing that, um, some cases that are on the calendar, we're getting a request for a continuance. And the continuance, reason for the continuance is the parties haven't finished at appeals yet and they think they can settle. So we're seeing some case, so we're granting those continuances. And for a lot of those cases, those are going away because they're being resolved at appeals. That was Kathleen Kerrigan, Chief Judge of the U.S. Tax Court, speaking with Bloomberg Tax's Asia Bogchi. And now we move from dealing with COVID to dealing with Congress. Despite its reputation for inaction, when Congress does pass a big legislative package, it can mean a lot of work for federal regulators. That's what Richard Jones discovered after Congress passed the Inflation Reduction Act earlier this year. Jones is the head of the Financial Accounting Standards Board, or FASB, and he spoke with Liberty Tax's Nicola White about his priorities in that position. 
Nicholas spoke to him shortly after the IRA passed and asked him what this means for his workload. Well, um, I'd be remiss if I did not ask you about the Inflation Reduction Act, um, which is the, the massive climate and tax package that President Biden just signed. Um, some of our listeners might be surprised to know that FASB kind of plays a role in one part of it. So large companies um, will be taxed at a minimum of 15% of their book profits. How surprised were you that that actually made it into the final law? And what's FASB's next move with standard setting and trying to ensure that people and companies don't lobby the board to change accounting so they get the tax outcome that they want? Like, this is a really, really big deal. Right. So um, I can't say I was surprised because I got to read uh, your publications and others that, that told us it was it was coming in various forms and then stopping and then coming through. So I can't say we were surprised when it came about. Um, as you know, we we develop accounting standards, uh, financial accounting and reporting standards for investors and other allocators of capital. That That's our focus. We get feedback in that regard. And we're focused on providing them transparent economic information. The fact that, that our elected officials choose to use book income as a starting point for their tax, and I'd emphasize that as a starting point, um, that's their choice. They're they're responsible for tax policy. I'd also mention this isn't the first time that, that a, a government entity has chosen to use our accounting standards or our financial statements as a starting point for their regulatory um, actions. If you look at the banking regulators, uh, do I think that some may reach out to us occasionally here and there as we're contemplating a standard saying this will have a tax effect on us or alternatively reach out to their elected officials and say, we don't like the way that book income is affecting tax policy in one way or another. Sure. Um, and they, they, they can do that. And I have confidence that our, Folks who decided to use book income as a starting point uh, recognize that that's something that they will always have to fine tune and possibly change. That was FASB Chief Richard Jones speaking with Bloomberg tax reporter Nicola White. And finally, we have someone who took on a monumental task by his own choosing, Pascal Santamon. He was the leader at the OECD responsible for its groundbreaking two-pillar plan to reshape the way multinational companies pay taxes. I say was because Santamon announced this year he's stepping down from that job. But before he left, he sat down with Bloomberg tax reporter Isabel Gottlieb for an exit interview. You've been in your role for the last decade. Um, reflecting back, what do you see as the most significant work the OECD has done in that time? Um, and are there things the OECD did in your tenure that may have flown under the radar, um, things you want to mention, and other work that's going on now that people should be paying closer attention to? Well, what a question. Good uh, morning. Very happy uh, to be with you. Uh, listen, what we've done, I think, can be summarized in, in, in a few words, which are international tax reform. We had an international tax framework outdated, dating back to the League of Nations, I mean, an old economy, uh, and we have, with the support of the G20, because of the financial crisis, we have reformed the international tax framework through tax cooperation, exchange of information, the end of bank secrecy, but also the BEPS work for base erosion, profit shifting, changing the rules on tax treaties, transfer pricing, and, and in, in a more innovative manner, we have introduced a new set of international tax rules which did not exist, which is to incorporate in domestic legislation 
what's happening across the border, which, which is kind of intertwining tax legislation, uh, which is a new concept uh, that emerged through the work we did on Action 2. You may remember the hybrid mismatches or, or CFC legislation. Pillar 2 is, is just the achievement of, of that trend. So that's what we've done, and uh, we've done that with something like a profile, I think, with interest in the G20 and all that. Many other things we do, which may be below the radar screen, uh, we, we used to do them. We have increased the work there on tax policy, advising governments on their tax policy, trying to come up with horizontal surveys on, on tax policy issues like climate change. How do you tax carbon? Should you tax carbon? What are the um, social consequences of taxing carbon? The competitiveness uh, issues related to that. This is work which I think will be extremely visible in the next decade. Uh, and that's why the new Secretary General of the OECD, Matthias Korman, is launching this inclusive forum on carbon mitigation approaches because that's going to be the big thing. So it's soon to be on the radar screen. But we've done many other things. I mean, the implementation and exchange of information through the Global Forum, building inclusivity with many members in our bodies, the work on tax administration with the Forum on Tax Administration, and, uh, and many other uh, things which may uh, sound small, which are not, in particular, the support of developing countries. And one of my flagship uh, initiatives is this Tax Inspectors Without Borders that I think is um, um, not uh, known well enough. Uh, and uh, it's an extremely good initiative. So you see, we've been all over the place. But, but what, is, um, what is common to all that is the reform of the international tax framework in an inclusive manner. And um, for you personally, um, can you briefly talk about your next steps, what, what you're working on, what's next, and um, sort of what led to that decision? So uh, after 15 years at the OECD, and you know, I started with uh, establishing the Global Forum on Transparency, cracking down on bank secrecy, and then started as a director and launched BEPS 10 years. It's draining. I mean, I still have a lot of energy, but uh, maybe sometimes I lose patience in the negotiation and all that, and we're moving to a new phase. And this new phase will be about implementation. It's going to last 10 years. I'm 54. Ten years' time sounds like an eternity, and uh, I want to have new challenges. So I'm going to move to a private practice, but not on tax planning of the stuff, which I would have found cheap, in a sense. I mean, probably bringing a lot of money. Uh, but uh, uh, what I would like to do, and I think I'm good at, I hope, is uh, to tell narrative, to build narrative, to explain complex stuff in simple terms to to decision makers, uh, to help them make the decision. That's why I'm joining a firm, which is a, a PR, strategic uh, advice uh, firm. But I will also uh, keep uh, a foot in, in tax uh, by taking teaching activities uh, in a university. It's not yet uh, official, uh, but it's likely to be in Switzerland. And uh, there, I hope I will head the tax policy center to try to keep, I mean, to, to try to develop a new program which is teaching tax policy. Uh, it used to be taught only in Harvard in one LLM program. Nobody 
teaches tax policy. You teach tax law, and in exchange for that, you get tax lawyers. I mean, I love tax lawyers, but maybe we need more of tax policy makers, and that's the goal. And finally, on the more personal note, I'm, I'm writing right now a book, which I hope I'll finish soon, which could be published next year. It's in French, because my mother tongue is French, but it will be translated into English, and, and the book will be about how we crack down on tax haven, because that's That's a juicy story and a story which I think is worth telling. That was Pascal Santamon speaking with Bloomberg Taxes' Isabel Godley. And that's it for today's podcast. You can find up-to-the-minute news and the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Rachel Daigle is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening, and see you next year. Have you ever thought to yourself, how is that legal? Why is that legal? Have you ever seen a big trial in the news and wondered, what's really happening there? Have you ever pondered the question, why are lawyers the way that they are? And how much money do they really make anyway? These are the things we live and breathe over at On the Merits, Bloomberg Law's weekly legal news podcast. On the Merits looks into the biggest stories playing out in the legal industry right now. And we feature the finest journalists, covering the biggest legal stories from across the Bloomberg Law newsroom. You can hear it wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.